to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it, welcome to it, welcome to it. Episode 253, 253 episodes. Read them and weep, MFers. Coming at you with a fantastic guest today, Mr. Mike Lust, Tight Phantoms, Luster King, uh, excellent recording engineer in his own in his own right, with a storied career there as well. Very excited to talk to this fella. He's um he's an awesome dude. I'm gonna try to do this pre-roll thing. I'm still I feel very awkward doing this, but this is this this people listen to the thing they want to listen to, and then they go do something else. So. What am I going to do here? Uh, what I'm going to do is... No, I'm not going to install Windows updates. I'm going to read this, which is... Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal is a long-running podcast about music and musicians. This is episode 253. I already said that. If this is your first time listening to the show, all the archives are at protonicreversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you'd like to support the show... Or get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to patreon.com slash Reversal. That will achieve that goal. And if you like the show, or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along. Like, subscribe, or post a review of it. All that helps people find the show, and it's just a darn nice thing to do. All right, so there we go. We got through that. I feel very proud of all of us that we did that. Mike Les tonight. He has a new record. It's uh, pretty great. Got to say, I've been listening to it in advance of it. Uh, Demented Wings is the name of it. Demented Wings. Forging in records. Forge as in like I am forging swords or swords, if you will. Uh, .bandcamp.com. It's good. It's a crusher. It's a you know, like ten songs, like twenty five minutes. Like gets in, gets out, does what it needs to do. You know, run the mission, don't get caught. Yeah. Uh, thanks for all the nice feedback about the two hundred fiftieth episode. I'm still kind of tripping that a, a tripping, sure, that a devo turned the tables on me and interviewed my ass. Um, did the best I could considering. Uh, Again, I urge everyone to check out the the Eric Fundingsland episode who did the Why Am I Doing This? 
documentary. That's really good. And uh, Chris Broca, who is a pretty rad guy and uh, has done a whole bunch of stuff. And I, I think that um, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. Right? That's usually how it goes. But I think uh, I think this protonic thing is... I think it might stick. <laughs> I think it might stick. I think it might be a thing. As we enter year eight. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm going to play the single off of the new record, which is called Demented Wings. And then we're going to come back and we're going to be talking to... Mike Lust, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And you should be too. So why don't we listen to... Yeah, why don't we listen to... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? The video... Uh, so at the time of this airing, it came out today. Uh, the video. Why don't we listen to that? Uh, which is Danceteria. And maybe I can make that happen sooner rather than later. Yes. Good times, great oldies. And then we'll be listening to, listening to Mike Lust speak to us <laughs> soon enough. Okay. So let's go do that. Uh, this is going to be... Um, off of Demented Wings. Mr. Mike Lass. Hey, Coda Neutron, thank you so much. Uh, fantastic to have you. Of course, at the at the time of this recording, we have a, a, a brand new song and video from you off of the new record, Demented Wings. That's uh, fresh, yeah. hot off the of presses, as they say. I don't know if Right, well, it hasn't, you know, you know what? It hasn't even been pressed yet. I, I, uh, the printing presses are, or the, the record presses are really fucking backed up. Yes, this and, is true. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know that. I'm sure maybe you've even heard people complain to you about that. I'm not complaining, but it's just like uh, it gets scary when pre-orders start coming in. Yeah. And you have a release date, and it's yeah. kind of like the classic. Uh, Checking the watch. You play, you play your record release show, and you didn't get the records yeah. yet. Oh, did we get the records yet? Yeah. Oh, my God. I got, I got, a, I got a couple stories about that. Yeah, that's uh, – it, it's – and it's interesting that I, I feel like there was more. There was almost more call for it. I think uh, last year, like it was sort of like last year. I think everybody understood that like shipping dates are hey everything's totally screwed up right now. Like stuff is not going to be normal for a while. And now it's sort of like okay, well we've been doing this for a while now. You now now what is it? Okay, now it's I don't know. We're doing Coldplay back catalog. Like why are what what what's the backup now? Right. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things are being reissued and they're being reissued in a really boutique manner. And you know, they're I think uh like Earache re released uh Walk Among Us by the Misfits. And but they did it in, in some ridiculously limited run of like comes in an actual coffin. In, <laughs> in like in different colors, but it was a really it was really outrageously limited, and there, there's a lot of things happening like that, uh, and I think it's really, it's really jamming them up. Yeah, and it's what are you, you going to do? You know, it's, it's like that. Yeah, what are you going to do? That's how it is. But uh, it's it's an awesome record, and it is out under the name 
Mike Lust. It is That's right. Not not hiding behind a band name. You're not a. It's not Mike Lust and the uh, and the pseudonyms. It's a. Uh, it, it's, it's it's not under your name. Yeah. Mike Lust and Milady. <laughs> exactly. It's just uh, it's me and yeah, um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to not have to, uh, you know, email email four people on every decision, <laughs> every decision. And uh, text four people on every decision, and uh, and just kind of sit and wait and wait. But just to really, really final music. artwork V nine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the, the idea of making music immediately, especially in uh, in the age now where we can make a song. You and I could could file share a song on the phone right now, and it could be in the, you know in the ether tonight. Yep. Um, I wanted to capitalize on that sort of immediacy and just start churning out music and and have and have like uh, a freedom and autonomy like genre wise too right because when, once you're a band for 15 year 15 plus years like tight phantoms is uh, you know a lot of people are like oh yeah they're a hard rock. They're a heavy kind of hard rock band. Yeah, yeah. you're I've the band that it. does that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even if they're like, yeah, they're good, but I've seen it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I know what that is. Nah. So it's just I wanted to start like wanted to start fresh, fresh canvas, and have, and have yeah, with a blank canvas, and have people just give me the freedom to, or just have the freedom to put out what write whatever kind of song I wanted to. You know, like. Yeah. Have the albums feel like more of a, a playlist or a mixtape? Well, and it's not. I mean, it's not really the first time you've you've done that. You know, the Silk Prison record kind of, as as we've established, kind of has like an Alien Lane sort of feel. That they're very different kind of songs all sitting next to each other, but it never sounds out of place necessarily. But I mean, I, I think you're talking about more from the perspective of there being more like kind of like I, I guess the term would be electronic sounding songs air quotes implied on on this one uh like kind of synthy synthier jams synthy yeah there's sure. a lot there's a lot of that there's a lot of writing you know with loops and or even with loops i've created you know played but um yeah i get really inspired sometimes even if i find like the junkiest drum the crappiest drum machine or hear the funniest loop on like an old song and I, and I you know i'll make a note to myself Ooh, i want to write something i want to i want to grab that drum loop and write to it yeah and and uh i wanted that i want to do it tonight you know and i just wanted you know that like i said that sort of immediacy that that ability to to you know when you're on your own you've got the freedom to write whatever kind of song you want to and yeah tight fans had become more when Silk Prison came out, it was more like uh, I was in limbo with music, like with the band. We weren't really playing live. The, um, the two guys that were doing Tight Fans with me had moved out of state. And so I put out, uh, as a reaction to just having time in a studio, I put out and uh, just a, a wealth of songs. I just put out Silk Prison, still under the name Tight Phantoms because those those other two guys played on a lot of those songs, but um, but then when Tech Man started to become more of a band again, um, I think uh, I wanted to take a lot of the songs that really weren't working in our band context and, and do something with them. So that's what this uh, 
that's why this record kind of became my lust. Well, you don't have to, as you said, you don't have to clue anyone else in on the decision-making process, too. So you can move quicker. Yeah. Exactly. Which, which I am told over and over again, that is the only allowable way that people should be working now, especially by things like Spotify. They're very insistent on it, that you need to constantly be putting stuff out and things along those lines. But it is interesting that that isn't really a thing that I've known you to have done in the past. So it's still uh, is a relatively new way of creating for you, or do you is it new that it's been released? No, it's I I've always kind of created this way. Even even in the context of the band, I'll I'll pretty much bring a finished song in. So I was I always liked to write that way since the math rock days of right. being in a really sweaty garage for like getting one song a month, like every two months. <laughs> so this part's in seven eight, and then we do this syncopated yeah. thing over there. <laughs> and I really just wanted to start making, like just. Being done with this, if if you can't like finish what you're saying, you know, if you can't get the song done in a night, like I want to move on. So uh, I like that way of working. Is any of that informed from you know being a recording music, like being an engineer and like seeing bands just you know knock their heads against a cement wall, but on things that aren't working? Yeah, I've seen that, but I've also seen bands come in with the entire record like written and rehearsed yeah. and that's pretty impressive too so but there there is like from from you know the 20 years of making records now and producing shows like av under av undercover right. that i did for yeah. the onion yeah um i've just you know seen and worked with every kind of band and really enjoy watching someone else's process and thinking I could do that myself too. You know, I can, sure. yeah. And wanting to like, um, get out there and get get out there and, and try like implementing and incorporating some of the things I picked up and gleaned from shows like that and making records like that. So that's, a, that's, a, that's why the, uh, armed with all that information, then the pandemic hits Right. And you've got time to really just get up, make a pot of coffee, and start making music in your pajamas. Because yeah. what else you're, are you gonna you're, do? <laughs> you're, you're trapped. Stare at the wall. I right, really, really digging into my staring at the wall time with this music. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I was really getting into, um, yeah, like I said, getting up, making a pot of coffee, and just uh, trying out the idea I was fucking around with before I went to bed. You know, yeah. and like. And seeing where I was by seven o'clock at night, maybe even maybe even like doing a quick mix of it, putting it away and starting another song. So right. uh, I when the pandemic started and when the unemployment checks were really good, I was like, fuck, this is great. This is what I want. Like, I want isolation. I want to be making music in isolation. I want to be collecting free money from the government. I, this, you know, with, uh, I'm, you know, terribly saddened and, and horrified that, that, uh, people are dying in mass. That's a, that's not a good thing, but there's a downside but, uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there was, there was something, uh, to, uh, there was something about that reboot that we all got. Yeah. 
um, that I that I appreciated. Like I said, there's really horrific things about it, and I, and I did have a lot of kind of rough experiences during the pandemic, um, personal ones. But the uh, the making music part of it, I really really got into having that having that that free time where you didn't I didn't have to stop at five o'clock to go bartend somewhere. Right. Yeah, yeah. So in, on one hand, like you're able to be more dedicated to the thing, but then also you're forced to kind of slow down at the same time with life. Yeah, you're not you're not like out hustling money, which is right. fucking so much of life. So much of our life lives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you know, if you don't come from money, like I don't, and yeah. I can't hold on to it because if I have it, it's it's yours. So we'll, we'll you know, let's get margaritas, but. So I'm not the best with it, so I'm constantly hustling it. Right, right. So it was nice to not have to do that and to really focus on making music. Yeah, and I mean, did you find did you find that starting in earlier informed the decision making process or the creative process any any differently than like doing stuff late at night or like at vampire hours? You know what? I usually, to tell you the truth, I you know. I usually did get started uh, late, late at night. Like I did usually, like finally get to the studio at six o'clock. You eat something, then you you have a couple of shots of tequila, then you start making. So I I wasn't as much of the roll out of bed, uh, make the pot of coffee thing as I as I just said. That was kind of myth making, um, an expression <laughs> to 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 detail what I should have been doing, but I usually got here late. Well, no, I, and I bring it up specifically because I, pe- I know people that are writers, whether uh, you know writers of books or screenwriters or whatever, who swear up and down that you get your absolute best work right as right as you wake up. If you just dive into it immediately, don't look at the news, don't look at your phone, just immediately start writing. And it, some reason, seems counterintuitive to music to me, but maybe that's just me. Oh yeah, you know that from from. Uh... Like from a from a, a brain standpoint, from a, a neurological standpoint, yeah, I'm I'm doing my best thinking and writing maybe at eleven in the morning till twelve thirty. Yeah, um, but I don't use that part of my brain for making music. I come from a more barbaric uh, when when you know when the sun goes down and you've got a buzz on. That's where that's where the music comes from with me so i come from yeah like a more barbaric perspective but when when i'm writing music as opposed to when i'm trying to gather my thoughts and make uh shopping lists and uh you, you know life writing yeah. jur- writing in a journal yeah do you find that the same holds true also for writing lyrics like for doing the words um boy there's like with lyrics there's uh did you ever uh i'm sure you've played you've shot pool before yeah yeah do you know where you know how like you gotta at least have two beers to like <laughs> there's a sweet spot just, yeah <laughs> yeah and then you, you know you're like yeah let's play pool and you know you go change out the quarters you come back you play pool and but then you have two more you know and there's that yeah that sweet spot where you're like holy shit i'm the best fucking pool yeah. player ever fucking move over color of money yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and then two more beers you, you're uh the geometry is off a little bit. You're hit, you know, you're hitting a little more barbarically and harder, and you're just not good anymore. So there's, I have, the, that's the funny thing about lyrics. I, I uh, 
yeah, I'd get out here and I'd pour myself a couple drinks and I got to make myself sound like such a lush in regards to, <laughs> but, but you know, that happened to a lot of people during the pandemic. Sure. Was yeah. No, it's... you start drinking a lot earlier uh, too, but uh, so I hear, hmm. but yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. I was, uh, I realized all that when, like, after after a certain window, I, I like didn't really like the lyrics weren't any good, right? So I had to like I had to get on that earlier, yeah. Or I just have to move on to like I could always like play guitar, or I could always uh, like beat on a drum or something like that. But yeah, when it came to lyrics, I had to be sharper. Yeah, I had to be sharper to get something that was was gonna stick. Well, and you're a guy that can, you can turn a clever phrase, you can fit things together nicely with a very kind of informed uh, way, but then also not, you don't need a sextant, and uh, I used that reference for the second time this week now, to, to figure it out, right? You know, like, it's not like, hey, here's the, the T-square, and I'm going to figure out the exact angles that these lyrics work together. No, it's it sound, it's rock and roll. It's it Yeah, I, I, but I still think I'm still getting better at it. I still think... I haven't really, I might have put out a 36 song record, but truthfully, I haven't really were like written a lot of lyrics. Like yeah. Luster King was pretty much a primarily like almost a instrumental band. The early years of Tight Phantoms, uh, the, the lyrics that were on there, like were kind of an afterthought. Yeah. Um, just to, for, to the, I wanted the, uh, music to be kind of powerful and and muscular in a way but but and the lyrics like it didn't really evoke any kind of poetry really i mean music making music like that so i still feel like i'm I'm really new at it and getting better at it and still like uh, like terribly embarrassed of some things you know sometimes you have to have some really you'll get some good lines right away but you, you know there's a lot of supporting actors that aren't very good <laughs> But then you also have your like Dick Futterman's, you know, that are, that are that are around. It's like, oh, that's great! I didn't even realize how great that was, but it, he's perfect in that role. What? Who is that? Dick Miller. Yeah. So he is just like he's a he's a that guy. He's a that oh, guy character yeah. actor. You know? I'm looking at him right now. Yeah, and, he, and he's a dude that like. What am I think? What I think it's Killbots. I think it's the what I'm thinking. Not a, not a, as fantastic as uh, Gremlins. I will say. Watch Inner Space recently during COVID still holds up, uh, but like he's in like The Howling, he's in like you know whatever MacGyver. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm, look, I'm looking at him right now. He's terribly recognizable. He's just one of those those dudes that, uh, yeah, like you, you feel bad for them. Their 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 entire life, they're just like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Well, some lyrics are the oh that guy of the song. You're like, oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah that guy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know that's that fits nicely there. <laughs> but yeah, the guy so with I the feel snowplow. Like it's, still, I, I, it's still it's still all a work in progress. Well, and I'm glad you brought Lester King because I wonder if I wonder if people like you know Elvis Costello or Bob Pollard or I wonder if those guys just come off the rack good at it. You know, I've you know if I've even if I there was a guy to buy voices song that I don't necessarily like, like, or like Stephen uh, Stephen Merritt from Oh Magnetic Fields, yeah, and, Magnetic uh, Fields. It's just like sometimes even if if it's not your favorite Magnetic Fields song, you can 
step back and just say, God, the lyrics are pretty beautiful, though. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's a good turn that of guy phrase. That yeah. seemed like he came off the rack, highly evolved at that sort of thing, you know? And it, it pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> like, you almost want to hear Stephen Merritt's, you know, baby, 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 let me touch you in your bathroom area kind of <laughs> level of lyricism, you know, that that ever exists. <laughs> I hope that's not a real song. I, I would, I would certainly hope not as well, but <laughs> your, ba- your bathroom area. Is that now, is that a place in the, is, is that a place in the bathroom or a place on someone's body? Uh, it's, it's, it's not up to me to tell you what the lyrics are about. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's that's all, true, man. It's all in the interpretation of the listener. Yeah, that was just straight from a Jungian unconsciousness right there. So I have to tell you something well, about Well, great. Me, I, I hope you wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about Luster King. So I think that, that – so Luster King is a band that I was aware of. Uh, even So I'm from California. I'm from, the, I'm from uh, Bay Area. And I knew about Luster King because of online resources – that sound adorable now, things like InSound and Epitonic, stuff like that. Oh, Which, wow, Epitonic. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, that was – Epitonic was uh, my buddy Justin Sinkovich's yep. uh, thing. Do you know Justin? Uh, I, I, I don't know him personally, but we know like about 100,000 of the same people. So. Yeah. I actually just texted him yesterday. But um, – but yeah, I met time, him. Like, I think maybe at Bob's place, but like whatever. Like you know, I, I met a dude once. I didn't really can't say I really right. know him. You know? <laughs> Do you remember uh, like Super Sphere? Yeah, yeah, Super Sphere. I remember. I remember that as well. Yes, the class. A lot of them were here in Chicago. A lot of them started here in Chicago. Yeah, and and so I knew from Lester King because of that, and I also, uh, you know, played in a, a, a noisier weird rock outfit as well and so i was like oh yeah cool that's a cool band name that's a cool band i didn't really think anything of it but then finding out years later that you had the path of of kind of moving more into kind of trying to do cool and interesting stuff with like the classic rock idiom and like you know trying to integrate elements of like rock that are not again the uh you know lyrical afterthought over the seven eight drum part and the (laughs) super complicated polyrhythmic guitar thing you know yeah Uh, that's high, that's of interest to me personally, not just because it matches a little bit of my own story, but because I just think there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of folks that have done that that have made that jump from that world. I mean, do you, is it something where do you just kind of burn out on it, or were you like feeling that it was like a limited color palette, like maybe the eight crayon box instead of the sixty four crayon box or something? Well, I started to get more into uh, I started to start recording albums for all my friends, you know, right. Um, Bands like Soup to Lake Johnny, uh, bands like Ten Grand and William Elliott Whitmore and stuff like that. So I started getting just more like being more of a studio rat anyway. So I think in being a studio rat, I was really kind of uh, coming at making music from from. And then I heard uh, the Soft Bulletin by the yeah, Flaming Lips. What a great record. Yeah, and that and kind of incorporated that really sort of, and this is a very played uh, overused phrase, just sort of using the studio as an instrument thing, yeah, and uh, really ex- ex- experimenting more in in that realm. And but but tight fans didn't necessarily turn out that way. But that's kind of why I originally broke up Luster King. Was our last record kind of was was going down our last full length or our only full length was called shoot the messenger 
and it started going down that path. Of yeah, it was moving closer. It was it was it was wasn't exactly where you would be, but it was moving in that direction. Clearly, yeah, exactly. So, um, I broke up the band, and it was kind of it was kind of rash and, and foolish, and it wasn't well thought out. I, in, in retrospect, I wish we stuck it out a little longer, or I stuck it out a little longer because. We really broke up after maybe four months after our first, you know, after our first full length came out and we never really got to go to Europe. We never got to go to the Bay Area. We never got to go to all these places we were set to go to. But I just started to get frustrated with uh, just the kind of music we were making. And I wanted to I originally started doing my Lust music then. And but I don't think I. Um, I, th- I don't think I was there yet. I don't think I could really um, finish a song. I had trouble finishing songs. I had uh, trouble committing to lyrics. I I felt just I didn't I wasn't ready to accept that vulnerability of yeah. like put, putting it putting that stuff out there. And that's probably why I started Type Fans. I missed the power and uh, the energy of like playing live music. But I didn't. I wanted to hide. Be, go back to hiding behind the volume, right? <laughs> Which a lot of bands do. I mean, it's very easy to hide behind the volume, right? Yeah, and and putting out a record like Silk Prison was gave me the opportunity to, to still be loud, but segue into the more like thoughtful, quieter elements and slower songs. Yeah. And so, but yeah, Luster King kind of came to uh, an abrupt end. And if, in retrospect, I should have, like, we should have wrote it out a little bit. We should have communicated better. But, you know, that's bands. Um, that's just what happens. Yeah, breaking news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any, um, do you have any, any fond memories with Lester King specifically? Oh, yeah, because it was funny because uh, the other day when I was, a friend was helping me move, and we found like old note, like we were moving this ridiculously heavy desk that I have. And, you know, like when you pull out the drawers of the desk to move it and inside the desk, you just find old papers. Oh, yeah. Just old notebooks and shit you haven't looked at because I've been in this. I was in the same house for 19 years. But um, so I found my list. It was just like five loose leaf pieces of paper stapled together of where I wrote down every Luster King show we had done. Nice. So, um, God, there's probably upwards of like over, you know, around 300 shows on that in such a a short time of being a band. So we really like toured quite a bit, but it was always like that, uh, that down South and up the East coast and into Canada and, all that stuff, not really ever going to the Pacific Northwest or the or the West Coast, but um, and I don't know why, but we I have completely fond memories. I mean, that was that was my first band, and we had toured so much, and that's pretty much where I met everybody. Right to to uh, that came into my life via the recording studio and making records and. Um, when it was a lot easier for us to tour when we were in tight phantoms then because we had all those yeah, you know back then, all those contacts were in <laughs> notebooks i 
remember it well, my dude. Yes. And they were in, and they were in college towns. So yeah. you could go back three years later and, you know, that girl might still be a server at that cafe yeah. and that dude might still be, you might have the same bartender when you roll into the club. And the same, you certainly had the same sound guy because those guys never really change <laughs> much. So, no, it's true. And then, and even if not, they usually will end up staying with music and like they'll, oh, they're at this place now, or like, oh, they started working for yeah. the local weekly or what, you know, whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Like have, like you build these contacts and it becomes such a big part of your world. And now it's, like, I feel like social media allegedly does that. Allegedly, yeah. uh, but. You can keep in contact with those people a lot. Uh, you know, you'll be going to Lawrence, Kansas, and you'll be like, oh, I wonder if Dave still lives in that house. And you're like, like now Dave's actually in Portland now. And yeah. you just know now where everyone's at right. all the fucking time. But, <laughs> but yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of mystery and discovery to life back then and life on the road back then. And, yeah, the, I, how could I not? Yeah, of course I think fondly of it because yeah. it was – it's truly like a, a period of discovery and fucking awe because if you're just like you know I, I was born here in Chicago but I never really I mean I never I never really left or traveled that much you know like yeah. it opens up your world vacations were like down to Dis like Florida or something but I, you just don't see that much I never got to see that much of the of the country until I was in a band and it's a great way to, to to see the country. It is, and um, you just see it like a, you, know, you see it a couple hours at a time, in like these little in these increments. Unless the drives are like ridiculously, you know, nine hours. But then yeah. you, you know you see a lot then too. It's swamp turns to plains. Don't get out as much. But turns to forest. Turns to mountains. You know. Yeah. It's it's. Yeah. Uh, all in one day. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I remember. I remember. I remember one tour that uh, Replicator did, and we we started off uh, in California, and we went down. We started off down south, so we hit um, southwest, up to south of the east coast, up to the north, to the northwest, and back down. And we started off, and it was, like, record heat. Like, record heat when we left. And then, like, I think it was somewhere around Missoula. It's like, oh, snowstorm. Sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? You know, we've, it's been two weeks. We're in a completely different climate now. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it just is, and again, it's, it's easy to be, like, old dudes talking about the way things used to be. But, like, you just didn't have the experience of, like, you didn't have someone be like, hey, look at this beautiful picture of the mountain I'm I'm visiting. You know, it was just like, oh, my God, we're in a place that has a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God, yeah, I'm in a desert. What the fuck? Yeah, you're like, Where's the roadrunner? Yeah, you just couldn't. <laughs> there's really no way to take, you know, you had to, you had your, like, your point-and-click cameras. Yeah. Take but, the wheel. I want to take a picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but... Yeah, it was. It's pretty remarkable. Now, did you guys tour a lot that band? Yeah, yeah. Well, especially for for bands on the bands on the West Coast. Usually, well, first of all, there was the there was a label and it had the most genius label name ever, which was World Famous in San Francisco, because there was a bunch of bands that never ever left, not just the Bay Area, but San Francisco, and kind of thought they were you know the best. So that's hilarious. But a lot of the bands on the West Coast, because it's so long, like it's ten hours to Portland. 
even SF to LA is like six hours. Like sure. everything is just like longer. So most bands didn't really tour in the way of like, you know, going all across the country. And the reason why is because there's like large swaths of like, well, nowhere to play here. All right, nowhere to play here. I guess we'll play a show here and it'll probably suck. And then we'll finally get to like where people want to hear this. But of course, making the kind of music we made, it was like wildly out of fashion at the time too. So it was like, well, if we go other places, maybe they might like it there. And that actually worked out well for us. Yeah. And I built like lifelong friendships because of it. Yeah. Because with kindred spirits. You're right. Uh, but that was that was uh, one of the perks of being from the Midwest is that everything's close, in Chicago, so close. <laughs> you, you can you can you're gonna be in Milwaukee in an hour and a half. Yeah. Or you, you're uh, gonna be in Iowa City in three hours. Yep. Or you're going to be Minneapolis, uh, Detroit. Like you know, it's Detroit, all close. Yeah, yeah. Detroit and <laughs> Cleveland and um, Cincinnati and all those were like you know attainable in an afternoon. Yeah. So you could leave you could leave the city at one in the afternoon and be somewhere for sound check. Yep. A, a lot of fucking states and a lot of places. So that's probably why we always made that same fucking trajectory. Yeah. But we you know what we went down to Texas a lot too. I guess that was part of our like going south. But um yeah, I just remember like you, the van's about to overheat. <laughs> You, but you have to drive with the heat on. Yeah. <laughs> to cool the engine, and everyone's in their boxer short. Like, yeah, exactly. everyone's yeah. down to, like, like sweating through their boxer shorts. Yeah. And nobody had their phones to look at. You know, if you're lucky, you had an operational stereo. Uh, no, you just looked out the window or you read a book. Exactly. Yeah. You just sort, of, just sort of, like, went away for a while and stared out the window. Exactly. No, yeah. It's... Or you played the same, like, dismemberment plan record or something. <laughs> we had this um, uh, C batteries. Jam box that just had one speaker, I might add, and even that one was like suspect. And like, we felt like we were like living the high life because we could, like, oh man, we can throw a cassette in here. Holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> your, your van didn't have a cassette. The player? F- first van that I had, uh, didn't have a stereo of any kind. Um, and so, like, first couple of tours that we did, like, just nothing. A lot of times, you just sit in silence, just you know, roll down the road. Every once in a while, someone would say something funny or like, hey, look at that sign. Look at that cow. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Do we sound like old men saying that? We probably. (laughs) Yeah, almost positive. We do. But it's like, but then like things like book your own fucking life come up on this show a lot too. And like how that that was like, you know, again, I don't want to get into things. That was pretty revolutionary, man. It really was. It really was. And, And it's. I don't know, and then the, the network of like, oh well, so and so from this band says that this place is cool, so you know it's going to be awesome. Like, and then like, oh, you know, so and so cool, and you're like immediately can just jump to like, oh, we're going to be friends now because I know you know this other person I know that's awesome that does awesome shit. Yeah, I feel like that's a little harder now. Maybe not. I don't know. For a while, like all, you know, the bands in there's so many bands that we befriended on tour that moved to like we brought to Chicago that moved yeah. to Chicago. Yep. Bands like the 90 day men. Um, this band links, um, links. Yeah. Links, uh, Dave from links went on to be in battles. That's right. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, the, the, um, 10 grand, uh, they were the Vita blue. They Vita became blue. 10 grand and then they, they moved to Chicago. We brought them to Chicago so it was 
you know, then, you know, you're making your little, you know, musical utopia in Chicago. And that's why I've worked for years making records for all those bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were all in close proximity. And, the, you know, bands would stay together for long enough to make three records back then. So, and there were, there were record labels and budgets back then, like small budgets, but they were budgets. And nowadays bands, uh, you really, uh, you know, I'll go bartend or... Or do something else to, to make side cash because bands are working on the weekends. Yeah. Because they're paying for it themselves. There's no labels, there's no budgets, and bands are shelling out. Or you'll do a record piecemeal. Yeah. You know, they'll come for three days, do all the basic tracks, and then go away with their rough mixes. You might not see, see them for four months. We got to save money up again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or you might not. <laughs> or they're going to work on it at home and like you yeah, know, do it on GarageBand or something. Return to that record. Yeah. Yeah. You were the guy that recorded the basic tracks, and they'll they'll go cut all the overdubs, and maybe someone else will mix it. So it's uh, the whole landscape, and I don't mean the literal landscape, but the whole we've you know we've had the opportunity to watch the whole landscape of the music business change right before our eyes, and right down to touring and um i just i remember in the the later aughts like 2008 2007 2008 tight phantoms had to like pull in the reins on touring because of remember gas prices were oh yeah like like close to five dollars for a gallon of gas and you know you put a hundred bucks to It'd be a hundred bucks to fill your van, and you yeah, know, thirty-gallon tank, man. Yeah, <laughs> some, days, some days you have to fill your van twice, yep. two and a half times. Yep. So it's just it became touring became an impossibility to it was to where it was only the bands that were really selling records. Yeah, and where the, the demand was there for them to be in that city. So touring changed from the just like we could just be anybody. We could just book our book our own tour like booking your own tour didn't really make that much sense unless you want to take a glorified vacation and lose a lot of money so um i maybe i went off on a tangent there but no it's all it's all salient and i just i don't know if you've seen the uh, why am i doing this documentary that eric from the bismarck did you know what i uh i started it i have every it was one of those things where um I have every intention of getting going back to it. I was just watching it in pieces a little bit. It's well, it's really good, but it's it's it's, it's something that it touches on all these topics. You know, of, of, are of, you in that? Yes, I am. But that's okay. not that's not why I'm advocating for it because it almost doesn't matter who's in it. You know, it's like it's about everybody and all no, the bands. I'm, that do I'm, this. I'm wondering, like, um, because I've heard your name. I, I like. I'm wondering why your face might be so familiar to me after. Uh, like while I haven't met you, your face you just seem so familiar to me. But I I feel like I remember you from that that doc. So yeah, but but no, you were saying about that. The big thing with that documentary that I felt was awesome is that like it yeah Albini's in it. You know yeah Tim and Andy from Silkworm, Hosey from Helmsley, et cetera, et cetera. But like all of these different musicians, all these different people are in bands it keeps coming back to that question of, of like, well, if you're doing this and sometimes you're wondering why you're doing it, but like you're doing it for the adventure of it and you're doing it for to like have these experiences and to, and to do this thing. But like, it, it does a really good job of kind of summing up the stuff that we were talking about there of, of, of just like, 
just the sh <laughs> the, sh the sheer idea of what touring is versus what touring actually is. And I, I, I think that that's... Look, I didn't have any doubts that Eric was going to be able to pull it off, but it still was nice to be like, yes, that's awesome. Like, you, you, somebody got this. Somebody got, yeah. like, all these stories of, like, the parade of misery that also is, happens to be awesome that is touring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's like a lot of things that are just... Uh, you're really fond of in retrospect, but when you're going through it, it's yeah. just a fucking nightmare. Yeah, and, and then later on, you're like, God, that was so great. <laughs> I can't wait to yeah. do it again. <laughs> it's just history tends to, uh, or your memory just tends to warp uh, the way your own personal history might have played out sometimes. But, but yeah, that, that's I'm, gr I'm glad you said I'm glad that came up because I, that reminds me I do need to finish that. Maybe I'll it's do super that good. And and I had Eric on as a guest uh, for the show, but I would have you know I would have had him on if I wasn't in it. You know what I mean? Like it's like he's awesome. His band's awesome. The documentary's awesome. It fits a niche. And of course, Dave Grohl came out with a documentary about touring, like you know, uh, right around the same time, which is just is like, it the perfect. touring in a van thing? It's uh, it's called uh, what drives us. I think is what the Dave Grohl one is is called. And it's like. Yeah. They're different kind of documentaries anyway. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But it's just sort of like, wow, he was working on that for like eight years or something. And then it's like, hey, guys, here comes Mr. Peanut Butter. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the Dave Grohl one's going to be different because it's going to be just laced with with or with musicians that are actually fucking famous from doing yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know. That's great to see Flea and Ringo talk about touring stories. Don't get me wrong. But it's it's not it, it doesn't hit nearly the same. Yeah. It, it doesn't, uh, you know, like it doesn't really <laughs> touch upon the, the sadness and the disparity of, of, like, yeah, going home with with absolutely, you know, no, just no money, or like splitting up three hundred dollars at the end of a tour between four guys, and just, uh, yeah, but it, but it was so possible back. But back then, at the same time, it was so possible. We all lived in apartments that were just like, you know, cost us one hundred twenty-five dollars each, and I don't know. It was it was everything was so much more affordable back then right. too. I don't know. So tell me about the the turn from from Blaster King over to Type Phantoms, and, and and again, the reason why I'm so fascinated is I feel like there's very few people that come from the noisy rock world that kind of go that direction and I, i'd be curious as to well, well luster king broke up in 99 and i don't think tight phantoms came out until like 2003 yeah oh so there's a four-year break there where i was just making records so um for other bands and i just really got you know just a very natural itch and like just missing that's four years I was going to a show four nights a week. So it was kind of killing me that I wasn't making music yeah. anymore. It was, it, it was, it was killing me that I had broke, like uh, that I broke up Lustre King just as things were starting to ramp. Yeah. For us, we were on tour with Alkaline Trio. You know, we were, we were getting some, we were getting like good opportunities and good tours. And, um, I just wanted to take another shot at it. And, it was, I saw, not that I was trying to capitalize, uh, because it never happened, but but capitalize, I, I mean, rock and roll was coming back really big in 2002, yeah. 2000, 
uh, three, like just the you know the strokes were everywhere, and white the, stripes uh, were a big deal. That, like the the you know that band. Remember that band Jet? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, that had like and Wolf Mother and those bands. Uh, but, like, yes. but Jet had like a huge fucking song, and and like people were getting into like dirty rock and roll again. Yeah. And um, that was kind of inspiring to me because it was right at the time where I was getting frustrated uh, being at like listening to proggy or music. I was getting frustrated with that. And I was getting frustrated with trying to the vulnerability of trying to make my own solo music. So I was just I had called upon the first drummer in type bands was the last drummer in Luster King. And he was uh it's really weird. That's I mean, maybe that's why Luster King, uh, it feels like there's a natural progression or segue yeah. into hard rock. It's because it was, I mean, Type Phantoms was two-thirds of Luster King. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, a, a jarring transition necessarily or anything. Like, it made sense if you stop and, th- and think about it. Like, if you think about, like, you know, how how the last record went versus, you know. It, yeah. It's, but it was, and it was inspired by that hard rock boom and the uh, th- things coming back from sort of uh, the emo, like it was a, you know, allergic reaction to emo music. And right. I was like, thank God fucking rock and roll is back again, you know? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so because we were always like really performance based in Luster King, we were always kind of like like theatrical and kind of like a little spastic and and weird and so i uh i wanted to play hard rock music like that and so i think yeah i really thought like maybe we could jump this train um just playing simple hard rock music just catch, was, catch the zeitgeist for once yeah yeah of course yeah and 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 you know there's freedom in that too i mean you listen to those records, uh, or you listen to old Zeppelin records, and they're a fucking hard rocking band or Thin Lizzy, but they could play, they could implement a quieter song, yeah. or they they had the freedom to do that stuff. And I knew we'd eventually be, we would eventually want to be going that direction too. Yeah, they didn't have to be going ninety miles per hour the whole time, right? Yeah, like, you know, so sometimes I, you stick I on thought, the cruise control and you can sit back and watch the ride. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So maybe. I thought maybe this is that that could be like my doorway into getting into more, you know, thoughtful, intimate music eventually. Like maybe this could be it could be like a, a slow passage into that. Right, right. Well, and then and then so so there's there's a lot of tight phantoms that the band came to my attention with Silk Prison. And I am sorry to report that I I just did not check it out uh, at the time at all. Mostly because much like the fantastic band beat run jewel took me forever to remember the band name. I don't know why. Uh-huh. Sorry. But like, once I listened to it, I was like, wow, this is audacious. This is cool. All these songs sit very nicely next to each other, even though they don't all sound like exactly the same thing. Like it just was a very, it was a very articulated vision. Well, that's one thing from being a recording engineer and helping bands. You know, back back when people put out full-length records, my favorite thing to do while we're making the full-length record with with the band is 
how are we going to sequence the record? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. you know what song one is. We know what song one is. We know that's the last song, you know. And I love how you could create a story arc with yeah. the sequencing of a record. Absolutely. That's always been my favorite. So when I, the whole time I was making Silk Prison, I would collect a new song. I would tuck it into the sequence. Yeah. Or where it would fit. So I was kind of always creating these two separate side A and side B, these two separate story, 18 song story arcs. So it just fucking happened to turn out that way. But, um, but that's always my favorite thing about making a record, even making a record with another band, helping another band produce the record is like, how are we going to sequence the record? Yeah. That's my fit. That's like, that's when, when we're like, that's when I feel like we're like, how are we going to tell the story of this full length record? But just in the way that, you, if you again look at the individual songs, you might not think they all would sit together. But like on Silk Prison, it all works. It all leads right into in next into each other. And like this song kind of sounds like this. This one's kind of wild rocker. This one's like more like maudlin and kind of down tempo. Like, but it all works. Yeah. Can I ask you how you found that record? Oh my god. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, it was a a friend. A friend suggested it to me. I can't remember who it was. A, it was a Midwest friend. The, the funny thing is, I knew Luster King, but I didn't uh -huh. know it was like the, the dude who recommended me didn't. So I was like, "Oh, I would have listened to this like way earlier if you had told me it was the guy from Luster King's band." Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Tight Phantoms." That's a crazy name, huh? I wonder if I can remember right. it. And then I didn't for like a year, and then I finally listened to it. Yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs> you know, another reason for just maybe wanting to, to to put this music out with my own name is just like, that's, that's how a lot of people, you know, you got a band like tight phantoms with a Z on the end of it. You're like, Oh, okay. I think I know what that is. Nah. <laughs> right. Well, and people but, have all kinds of preconceptions about names and, you know. but if, if there's a guy named Mike lust and, uh, looks like a total, like fucking homeless, raging homeless dude, uh, that's easier to get yeah and the first song off his record is, is a fucking bona fide disco song yeah maybe maybe then you'll check out the record because <laughs> like there's a lot of incongruent elements happening here yeah that's yeah interesting yeah. so and then and i do want to i do want to talk about demented wings first couple couple more things specifically about silk prison though so you you was it that you just knew it was going to be as long as it needed to be for the record, I mean, you said you kind of had the idea that there was going to be, you know, these two these two things, and you're going to have an arc, going to tell like uh, there's like a, a a connective tissue with all of it. Yeah, I think we were just going up there. We were just going up there every other night and coming up with songs, and yeah, I was just having kind of, I was kind of just on like one of those rare like uh just songwriting tears yeah that um every it, it seemed like every time i would go out to the studio and i'd come up with a chord progression and uh the drummer was living with me then and we shared my studio phantom manor together too so i would uh if i had even if i had a chord progression I'd, i would say come out now yeah. And we'd always we always had the mic set up and we owned a recording studio. So it was just like a song could uh 
Oh, you could have a, uh, a chord progression at 6.45 in the evening and by 9 o'clock have, like, a well-recorded song. Right. Yeah, that's so wild. So we, <laughs> we were just, you know, you do that uh, a couple times a week, and before you know it, you've just collected so many fucking songs. And um, that's all I was doing back then. I was dating a girl who was singing in a band, and she was on tour She'd be gone for 30 days, so but I'd be so inspired by the fact that she got to do that, and I would hold up at the studio and write song. I was just like, it was just an inspiring time. Sure, it was really, it was really dark too, but it was, uh, it was really inspiring all the same. Like, like I said, one of those things that I look back with so much fondness, but. When you're living through it, you're like, yeah. <laughs> this blows. Glad I, glad I lived. Yeah, glad I lived through that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's um, it's interesting because it's sort of a heavy record in a way. Like, but it's it's not like over the top about it, even while it's being over the top. If that makes sense. Um, well, that's that's the kind of thing we talked about with sequencing is. You could have, and like, especially in regards to your record, like you said, you could have, or like, I would have a heavy song, but it would take two or three songs of slowly getting down to the delicate song. Right. And it would be like, but it would be like, those those two songs that got you to the delicate song would be consistently tempo-wise, like, melodically and tempo-wise bring you to the, del- you know. It was all, like, it, it was able to work that way. I think, like, we had, we did have some really fucking heavy barn burners on that album, like Shredders, too, and then uh, four songs later there'd be this weird, this sort of thing that was uh, motivated by a drum machine. And electronic <laughs> stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it took you. It took you four songs to get there, and there were four songs that naturally took you there. So, it. Uh, I guess when you've got thirty some songs, you're like, that's the butt. That's really where, like, you know, you roll up your sleeves and you're like, all right, you just start rubbing your hands and you're like, let's map this out. Yeah. And it yeah, was yeah. fun. That's it was awesome. so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's and great. that's kind of like what I love about being a studio rat. And getting back to the, the pandemic only allowed me to do that more than I was for 20 years. To really kind of like lean into it and kind of. Yeah, I would as soon. Uh, my studio here is in uh, is in a studio is in a building called the Music Garage, and it's all, you know, there's a drum shop, there's other recording studios, there's practice facilities. Um, there's a giant room where New Order will come, like if New Order is playing <laughs> right. Loud yeah, Blues, yeah. or if they're playing down the street at Pitchfork, they'll rehearse here. Sure. Like, so there's, you know, it's not the airplane hangar size room, but it's like uh, a, size, a room where I'm more established. So I'm in like a studio building, so I would, I'd come out here and quarantine out here. And uh, there'd be nobody in this building. Yeah, was that just like? Did you feel like uh, what? Uh, what do you call it? Um, 
like Last Man on Earth or uh, the, the Omega yeah, Man it feels or like something. Twilight Zone, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so cool. It was so cool for making music, and you know, sometimes you're really you're really afraid to belt out and work on a vocal because you know that you, you could hear the band in the next rehearsal room fucking around. Yeah, yeah. You just but, you know someone's around, and so there's that. Um, what they call it, the Heisenberg effect, right? Like the the act of observing something changes it. Yeah. It, it was like there was this eerie, like spooky silence in this building um, that I've never, that that uh, I hadn't experienced. And I, it, it really opened me up to trying things out for this record and really opened me. Yeah. I was no longer afraid of like singing and being vulnerable and, having certain like playing one song over and over at night. Like, yeah. am I bugging, am I bugging someone yeah. next door by <laughs> right, bugging yeah. the neighbor downstairs by like playing <laughs> the same fucking song. So it, it really like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of freedom through that. But, um, but I can't remember, uh, what the fucking question was that <laughs> we jumped off on that. So. Well, well, we were talking about sequencing and talking about how it, like everything fits very nicely together. But however, just by me mentioning the Heisenberg effect, dude, I can't, I can't skip the fact that uh, there was a tight Phantom songs in, in Breaking Bad. That's amazing. Yeah, that that was so cool. Um, I told the story about that last night because the story is really funny. Um, we were we were signed up with a licensing group um, called Ghost Town, and they. Uh, they would help us with placement in in movies and in shows and stuff like that. They actually like they loved that Silk Prison was such a like there was such a wide variety on Silk Prison yeah. that they could pitch it to a lot of different things. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a music library in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, and they they really liked that, and they were able to get Silk Prison a lot of placement, and that yeah. that was really great. So. One day they're like, um, hey, there's this show that uh, is interested in your song and they have X amount of dollars. And um, it wasn't, I, I won't, it wasn't that much money, but it was more money than I've ever been paid right. in my life for a song. Sure. Yeah. So um, they're like, it's a show, it's called Breaking Bad. And uh, I was like, is it any good? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. And okay. they're like, well, here's the thing. They've done two seasons now. They they want this for the third season. They've done two seasons now and it's really getting legs. Yeah. They think like they think it's going to break on this season. Yeah. And I was like, well, anyway, why am I even asking? Give them the fucking song. I don't. Yeah. But, <laughs> and so the night I, it was getting, you know, Breaking Bad came on back then. It was like, you know, Sunday nights, get in front of your TV. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't even that long ago. I know. It, you know, man, before yeah. streaming, it was like, oh, I got to catch it on Sunday night. So I went home on Sunday night, saw it. And then of course, it's like one of the scenes where the, he's, what? what is, what is his name? Uh, the son. The son, uh, uh, Walter, Walt, Jr. Walt, Walt Jr. Walt Jr., yeah. He's listening to Tight Phantoms on his headphones. Yeah, yeah. So it has that headphone filter. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> sound like our song. 
Yeah. It's just like, oh man, always a bridesmaid. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like you always think, you always want to get that like Fast Times in Ridgemont High with like the Cars song playing yeah, as she comes exactly. out of the pool and you're you like that iconic that's, moment. That's yeah. just like um but uh but still um and then I like saw it, I watched it, I was like, fuck, that's it. And I shut it off. Cause I didn't know Breaking Bad. I didn't know the fucking context. Right. I mean, <laughs> it it was before. Like later on, when I watched the show in its entirety, I, I binged and streamed, streamed and binged the show. I actually like cried. Yeah. Because I was like so blown away that my band is in this show, even in the even in the uh, the lightest of contexts. Yeah. But it, I, I got emotional thinking, like, what a thing, like, that, that, that happened to me. And, you know, I, I got to buy a Volvo wagon. That was my favorite car I've ever had. That's awesome, man. A fucking old Volvo 240 wagon that was bitching fucking car. And, you know, people still ask about that car. And I got that car because of Breaking Bad. And because I was in Breaking Bad. And... Uh, what a fucking cool opportunity, man. Yeah. It's like one of the best shows of all time, probably, at least as far as dramas go, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> uh, it makes, but it makes me even more mad or it, it's like, makes me even more pissed at the Sopranos song. <laughs> I, oh, I know totally. Right. And, and like, <laughs> it's I, like, why, like, why, oh God, like, this, why use that? You have the opportunity to like, have this like put this song and have it in the best placement ever of a TV show. It's the worst song in the world. Yeah, yeah, and it's one. It's also one that everybody knows. Everyone knows I'm sorry, that I'm song. I'm gonna go on record. I'm gonna be an asshole here and say that "Born Under a Bad Sign" song by the on the Sopranos is one of the worst songs ever. The I mean, it's it's just all just a wasted opportunity. But people like things that they already know. <laughs> people want. Um, People, a lot of people just crave the familiar. What I hate, and apparently this is going to be a side rant, but in movie trailers, especially, where they're like, oh, it's a song you know, but it's done acoustic and quiet. I'm like, oh my God, I've only heard that 10,000 fucking times. And yeah, 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 yeah. They're still um, doing it. Still doing that. Or do you think that song needs to be? Do you think that song just needs to be the theme from The Sopranos? The, you're talking. You're talking about the theme song. Or you're talking about the the journey song at the very the last season. Oh no, I love the fucking journey song. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the born under the born under a bad song. Baby. Yeah. Boop 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 boo. That one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's. I don't Don't know. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times now that like it just that's the opening to that show. But I will tell you this: there's there's been a few shows where I'm like. Holy shit! Is that theme song bad? You know, like uh, <laughs> the most odious example is uh, the Star Trek Enterprise, the Scott Bakula prequel series, which is actually not bad as a show, but the theme song is so fucking bad and so distractingly bad that, like, it actually made me question my should I bother watching this? Like, this can't fuck with this show, yeah? Because <laughs> it's like because the other Star Treks, you know, you have like the classic. The classic space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. You know, like you've got like these like bombastic kind of orchestral, and it's like it sounds like something important's happening. 
And in this one, it's like, it's been a long road getting from there to here. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is. Ooh, I, I, I got to hear this fucking song. I can't wait. Uh, I, I've, I've, I have an entire song parody I wrote out on tour once, and I, I keep threatening to record. So, I'll yeah, if I ever do well, that, I'll give it to you. you got to record it. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago's not far away. I mean, Breaking Bad, dude. Like, your song's in, in, in Breaking Bad. That's fucking amazing. Like, and even if it's like. Yeah, it's only on headphones or whatever. It's it's kind of like a key a key thing. You're in you're in a part of history, you know? Like Yeah, I, I don't uh I think about that every time I'm like sitting uh in a broom closet eating a piece of cake <laughs> at like when I'm bartending some wedding. And I can't right. eat the cake in front of like so I gotta go in a broom closet and I'm like, What the fuck is my life? I was I was in Breaking Bad, and I just, you know, throw tip over a mop bucket. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a that's a very sad yet hilarious image. I like that. <laughs> and it's, it's it's happened way too many times. Um, that I, you know, more times than I'd like to mention. Demented Wings. Well, so first of all, I should say foragingrecords.bandcamp.com. I don't think I said it so far. Uh, that's the place to go get it. It's selling like hotcakes, so if you haven't procured your copy, go get it already. Do you want to do a thing where we go through each of the songs, and you can like tell me something about each of the songs? You can say like you know where you get the song title from, where the you know, lyrical idea, whatever, whatever. Just kind of like any sort of yeah, we could minutia with it. Okay, yeah. cool. So let's do that. Starting off, we have uh, as you mentioned the. Well, you have next hex. Starts off with next hex. You got that um, the the sort of driving bass, kind of Gary Gary Newman esque sort of. I think did you say disco song? No, that was the single is more like of a the, yeah, of a dance interior is more yeah, yeah yeah. Next next hex was uh, a, a one of the songs that was written during the pandemic. It was written last May, and uh, it was uh, started with that like yeah. People call it the killing joke song. And okay. I was like, oh, oh, okay. I was thinking yeah, two-way I, army, I, but that works, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally hear that. And um, I, uh, God, I was kind of fleshing that one out on, like, uh, I had an electronic beat, played that bass line, then uh, played the drums. I was kind of fleshing it all out on Instagram, which was really... Oh, really? Sounds really childish of me, but I just got through a breakup <laughs> and I needed attention, probably. Sure. So, um, but yeah, that song, you could, like, I remember that night on Instagram, you could, on my stories, you could track the progress of that song. Um, but that was like, yeah, a pandemic song that came last May. And um, it, uh, I, w- once I had that bass line, I was like, oh, this sounds like the, op- this sounds like the opening of, the, of a record. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like, you know, like we said, like in 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 uh, excruciatingly talking about sequencing, I love that. Like, what's the opening song of the record? Yeah. Like, does it it's does important. it make it? I love like making a statement, opening up, and and that baseline just did it for me. I was like, okay, that's got to open the fucking record, and um, yeah, it's it feel the song feels dark right off the bat and um not like i like to talk about what uh 
my songs are about. They're obviously not all autobiographical because I once heard Greg Dooley from Afghan Wig say this. He's like, if my songs were all autobiographical, I'd be dead. <laughs> because like the, the characters in his songs are such nefarious dirtbags. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that song, Next Hex, is about like kind of just like going down to a drug deal and just puking in the snow. Like you're just hung over, but you're going to get kind of going to, to get the next fix. Um, from, so that's, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't really even know much about drugs coming. So <laughs> it's all <laughs> that, allegory. You understand yeah. that is not an autobiographical tale. <laughs> it just, the baseline seems so dark that, you know, I've certainly, I've certainly been blinded by hungover and blinded by the sun and puked in the snow before, but anyway, so a, yeah, that's the first, that's the opening song. We don't have to talk about every song, but yeah, we do. Um, that's the bit. We're going to do it. Okay. Well, let's go. It's the next <laughs> but song. They, they don't all have to be paragraphs though. I mean, like you, you No, the next song is called somewhere, somewhere to run. run. Yep. And that's a really sort of, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think, whether well, there's, there's even a guitar. There is. There's clean guitars in that song. Um, kind of almost like in a beach house manner, like yeah. the clean guitars. But it's a really electro, like electronically driven song that was done. Yeah. During, uh, it was kind of a new wave feel. A, it was done on a Friday night. Some of these songs I hear, I could, I could picture the night when I was stuck up here recording it. And that started nice. with a beat from... One of those old Yamaha drum machines that I got when I was a kid nice. that had the four pads on it. Yeah. And um, my, uh, it's wow. This is funny because this 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 actually relates to this song. I was I, was, I made the nucleus of that song, the, the skeleton of that song with that Yamaha drum machine, and the next day I was recording this elect this band Electric Hawk. Yes. They're an awesome instrumental metal band from chicago and during the session the guitar player got we we had gone out to get a pizza during a break and he was like i think i have to stay here for i'm gonna hold off on getting food we came back and he was in the hospital he like taking himself to the hospital wow. uh uh he just he like fell ill somehow or the emergency room and so that session got sort of like uh truncated or, or it, it sort of got cut off, and I was like, um, hey, I said to Noah, the drummer, who's also in this incredible band, Fax, yeah, yeah. Uh, from Chicago, and he plays in Tight Phantoms sometimes, too. And I was like, "We're before we before I tear down the mics on this session, that's obviously not going to happen now. Right. Can you put a, a, a live drum beat on this song? Nice. And so he... He put live drums over the Yamaha drum machine, and um, my friend Sue helped me sing it, who is in a band called Sarge. Remember Sarge? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do remember Sarge. She's been inactive for a while, but we're actually just starting to make a record with her. And um, so she sang on that song. But uh, it's funny, the Electric Hawk session happened yesterday. The continuation of the session that happened Two a uh, year and a half ago, when the dude got ill for the day, we uh, actually picked it back up yesterday. Nice and had a great fucking day recording. That's awesome. Yeah. So and then you know, song three is Danceteria. Right. 
against Interior, and that was the name of a club in 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 New York City in the eighties where Madonna met the Beastie, where the Beastie Boys played. Madonna played. It was kind of like uh, Cool Kids Studio Fifty Four. Right. <laughs> if you if you were like young and ratty, and and punk and sort of chic, you you couldn't get into Studio Fifty. You're too young to get into Studio Fifty Four. You went to Dance Interior. And I always liked the name. I always liked that word, and um, I always disliked it as a word. So I uh, used it um, in a song. But it's uh, it's not really about that club in New York. It's more about like the disillusionment of the being stuck. Kind of like I don't want to say the pandemic because I don't really want to timestamp the song to to an obvious time. But yeah, it's about that sort of disillusionment and isolation. And I hate when, you know, I, I never thought I'd be that chump that talks about what their songs are about. It's so a, you're really putting me on the spot and embarrassing the fuck out of me. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate you still going through it anyway, but it, people do get some value out of it. And, and, yeah. I mean, and that one's got that great line. Um, uh, you used to think she was a blessing. Now she's just a curse. Like, yeah. I think that's, that's a real... That that's that's not a Dick Miller line. That's that's a that's a star turn line for sure. No, that that's that's <laughs> you know that's one of the lines that I hung out on. Like, uh, why would you make things work? Uh, yeah, yeah. I used to think she was a blessing. Now she's just a curse. I hung on to that that line and tried to you know you you have certain lines you try to poke into songs over the years. No over the fucking about. years, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, you're like I'm still writing out the same notebook. Yeah. <laughs> but it finally fit into something and I, I'm really happy with that song. The beat is a loop from a famous girl band in the eighties. And I won't say mm. the name of the band or their Showtime documentary. That's really good. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Famous girl group. It's the, their beat that I, heard while I was watching that doc and slowed went and slowed down their beat nice. and uh, wrote the entire song to it and my buddy Chris Dye played drum. He's, he was in a band called Chin Up Chin Up and uh, if you remember that band he he plays in a few great bands now but um, Camp Dogs and and uh, but he played live drums over it so we could squash the uh, the go-go that we could get rid of the oh we could get rid of <laughs> so we could get rid of the original beat so I wouldn't get in any trouble but um that's that's the first single off the record and that's yeah. the one the I video. just made the video for yeah um go check out the video uh on youtube on the forge again page um i'm super proud of this video it's interesting um, it's cool i like it it's got a yeah vibe it's kind of like uh some my the girl who's doing public publicity for me asked if I could make a statement about the video but I was drunk for two days and I couldn't come up with a statement for the video so I just said it's kind of like the Twilight Zone meets Chevy Chase and <laughs> or it's like, like Chevy Chase meets the Twilight Zone like I wanted it to have that sort of really dark spooky feel and it yeah. didn't come out as dark as I really pictured it in my head but it did still And but it's got like uh, I wanted to put in like a lot of my favorite, like, like you know, stupid comic t- timing. Uh, uh, what do you uh, what do you call it? Um, 
gags. There, it's a, there's, there's gags, I hate it's, to say, in the video. but um, It's entertaining, yeah. Yeah. So, but it was directed by my friend Brendan Leonard, who uh, did our last Tight Phantoms video called Waiting For. And um, both videos I'm proud of, both... Um, I really love this this director, and every time I like storyboard something, uh, or just explain what's going on in my head for the video, he just fucking nails it perfectly. So, yeah, check out that video. That's the first single, and uh, I'm really proud of it. And that's the third song. The fourth song on the record, Distorted Pony. (laughs) Oh, Distorted Pony. Which is uh, written to another drum loop that that I was playing. But the funny thing about that is, I uh, I don't know why I kept saying "distorted pony" <laughs> in the chorus. Uh, just in sub like I must have subconsciously read the band. I didn't know about the band really. Really, I just assumed it was a reference to the band. Who are no, it's not. <laughs> but and I thought, what a cool f-. and then and that was like kind of. Almost going to be the song title, Distorted Pony, and someone's like, oh, like the band? Yeah. And I'm like, fuck! Who are great, by the way, and also playing shows again. Yeah. And, uh, Yo, no, I've gone on to discover the band. Yeah. But fucking bummed me out. And so I'm like, okay, I got, I've got to change this whole thing around. And I didn't. Sorry, Distorted Pony. I just changed the title to Distorted pony comma pony so that's that's the story with that song but um that uh that's kind of like my psychedelic jesus and mary chain yeah that's just a lot of these songs are just it's got like a psych sort of element to it yeah yeah they're all done in one night and they're kind of put away at the end of the night and i you know never really thought about much much more until it came time to put lyrics on them yeah so um, a lot of times it could just be what I'm listening to that day and what I feel like going and making at the studio because I've been listening to a lot of Jesus and Mary Jane or I've right. been listening to a lot of Black Mountain or I've been listening to a lot of psychedelic music. It's just like, you know, um, the the songs are truly a product, like making me, like I've talked about that immediacy with making music. The songs are truly a product of one night sitting up at the studio. If uh, a lot of times, if I can't finish it that night, it's like there's something that's just it's just, that's just not working for me. So the next song is called "Lusty Verse Talking Heads." Yeah, it's an eight-song hardcore song. It, it is. It's very quick. It's up there with "You Suffer" in the uh, the pantheon of uh... <laughs> and you all. Napalm Death. Yeah, 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 yeah. All, um, you know, that's another one. The Descendants. All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The song, not the band. Um, that I just wrote in the car, like driving, like just. Uh, I remember driving. I was driving to work at Thalia Hall, and I heard Talking Heads, and I fucking. Not I sure. don't know why I got so. I, I was just so aggro. I'm like so fucking. I was like so fucking. I love the rhythm section. I love Tina Way. Tina Way was one of my favorite bass players, but goddamn. I'm sick of this fucking band. And I was just like, so I wrote that song acapella in the car. (laughs) And uh, I, 
I made it an Instagram story, and I'm like, fuck, that's actually kind of catchy. I'll just have my buddy Chris from Chimp Chimp, uh, who we were talking about, who played on Dance Interior. I was like, I'm just going to have him like come by and do, I'm like, do a hardcore beat. Yeah. I'm going to yell at you in your face, do this hardcore beat. <laughs> and it turned out, and it sounds, and it was originally called uh, Fuck Talking Heads. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I don't, I'm not uh, an aggressive person. I'm not a like violent person. Yeah. I'm not, uh, <laughs> and it just, w- the person I am doesn't sort of uh, ma- uh, match the character uh, of that song. So I was like, I don't want to say fuck. I mean, those talking head songs I do like. Yeah. And I just don't want to. I just, so it's called lusty verse talking heads yeah, because yeah. some some days I really do just you know when someone wants to talk about David Byrne I do just want to say get away from me <laughs> get the Fair fuck enough. away from me. So that's the story behind that. What's the next song? Centipede is the next song. Centipede. Oh, moody number. Yeah, it's an instrumental song because um, that's that's an interesting song because. There's this Brigitte Bardot song called Contact. Mm. This, I could actually be getting myself sued for this, but I actually wrote it in the liner notes of the rec in the insert of the record. I said it's directly inspired by the Brigitte Bardot song Contact because it's a, it's, there's no difference in the two songs. They're like the baseline is, I'm like, I want to make it. A perfect example of like I want to go to the studio tonight and make a song with that. I was like, you know how like you're in a cafe and you're like, you hear you ask the like, hey, what's this song? Yeah. And they're like, it's Brigitte Bardot, Contact. I'm like, okay. And you you go home, you YouTube it, and you're like, I'm making a song tonight with that baseline. <laughs> so I made it with that little drum machine called the Funk Box. That's like, uh. Do you know the funk box? I do not know the funk box, but I love that it's, it exists. It's like one of those old organ, you know, the, the drum machines on those old organs. Yeah, yeah. And like an old Wurlitzer drum machine. Oh, yeah, like, like the fun machine that. or something. It's a fucking yeah. $5 app on your phone. Okay, gotcha. If you listen to uh, one-on-one by Hall Oates, they it starts with uh, like that sort of, the same sort of loop. And so I was like, uh, I took that Brigitte Bardot bass line and the funk box and made that song centipede and put some like you ever you ever watch the old spider-man cartoons oh yeah hell yeah the ones from the 60s that have the great jazz oh yeah <laughs> they did they did have jazz in those yeah they yeah. had incredible like these incredible like this incredible like jazz soundtrack to all of them in fact it's all on youtube the the, the the entire sequence like someone sewed together all the musical sequences wow. of the 60s Spider-Man cartoon and the music's so fucking great but it's all like jazz flute and stuff yeah so I kind of wanted to there's a breakdown in the song where, where the song actually does change is kind of like a is my Spider-Man homage nice <laughs> so you put all those things together and you can't figure out how to put lyrics on it right <laughs> So you don't. So instrumental it stays. Yeah. The next song on the record. Chrome Intentions. It's called Chrome Intentions. Got some big guitars. Yeah. 
this is this is kind of the this was for a while in the running as the first single but everyone's like it's too much tight it's too tight phantoms yeah it definitely feels like it could be on a tight phantoms record for sure yeah and the storyline of the video that is has yet to be shot is kind of very much like tight phantoms waiting it has that feel it's uh but um that uh you ever just plug into like a cheap amp and it sounds kind of bad and and you play some stupid Stooges riff on it, yeah. And you're like, great, <laughs> I'm, I'm writing a song tonight to that. <laughs> and that was it. I plugged into the Solid State Trainer amp, and I was trying to be Spoon. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's I don't I don't know if you listen to Spoon at all. I uh, yes, actually, the one of the first bass players of Replicator turned me on to them because he was the uh he he was from austin so this this is like when the first record came out um uh series of sneaks like right like so series of sneaks had been like pretty new at that time he's like oh you really you really dig it uh it's like elvis costello meets wire i'm like that sounds fucking awesome i'm totally in and, and did you think? Did you really think? Was that on the nose? Do you think, or do you think that was for for the for? Were you disappointed? No, no. For that for that record, I I think it was. And then I I stuck hard with them for um, I think Girls Can Tell is really good at like Kill the Moonlight. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that it's, eh, it's not really for me. But you know, there, every once in a while they'll be like, oh, that's really cool. Like I'll hear a song in passing or something. That's it's immediately clear who the fuck it is. Like yeah, that that always says something, but it's never bad. It's just that I think it, I I kind of filled up on how many spoon records. I, I yeah, had time I, for. I understand that with <laughs> artists. Like yeah. you just you just fall off at some point, and you never go back. You know, like I Sonic Youth is so important to me as a band, but at some point I decided I've had enough Sonic Youth in my life, and I just stopped paying attention. Yeah, that's like. All right. I, I I love I feel that way about like um, Nico Case. Sure. I think is like one of the greatest American songwriters um, that we have. But there's after four albums of it, I was like, God, I got so much Nico case. I love it. Yeah. But then the next, the, her last two records, I'm going to get into, I'll check them out, yeah, but it's just be didn't there. have that immediate, yeah. like I needed to buy it the day of not how I feel like that's how I feel about Fiona Apple. Right. Like I always have to, I have to listen to her shit the day of, and she puts out things. when an artist puts out things so infrequently, it's a little better. But when but when your favorite artists start knocking out a record a year, yeah, then you really can't keep up, and then you really you move on to other things. I, I think that's just natural in music. Um, look, uh, look at Creedence; all those albums were all like you know one a year, just pop, 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 pop. Like yeah, which is crazy. Kiss, kiss, kiss did one every nine kiss, months. Yeah, yeah. we got to have one for Christmas. So, <laughs> um, but Spoon, I'm, I, I love that when you and I, I feel like I was making music very much inspired by how they make music. You can tell there's like some songs that are anchored by a guitar. Yeah, some songs that are anchored by a farfisa. Like you could just tell that's what they went in that day and said like. Ooh, this is a fun instrument to play. Yeah. Let's make something around this. So I was just trying to do my best spoon um uh impersonation with 
with that. And that's what's what's great sometimes is you think you're mocking an artist and then you run it through your filter. Yeah. And it comes out nothing like that. <laughs> it just sounds like so you. I don't, yeah. mind, I don't mind saying I was inspired by Spoon for that because it didn't come out anything like it. So Yeah, it wouldn't be what I would think of. Like when that's all, it, so. And that's always great. And I don't know how the lyrics turned out to be about ch- like children, um, a boy having his first crush, and he's into this girl, and she is, is into Dracula. So he asks his dad, "Can I, can I dress like Dracula for school?" Right. And the dad says, "Absolutely not, no." And I don't know why I chose to write in the perspective of or about children uh, obsessed with Dracula. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think kids. I know kids like dinosaurs. Kids don't like fucking Dracula. <laughs> Some might. You never know. You never know what people latch onto. Kids, especially. You know kids. they do like they do. Uh, they are obsessed with Harry Harry Potter. They go through their Harry Potter phase, and that's about the age of the kids in the song. Yeah. So maybe this kid was, or maybe. This girl was just into cool. She had cooler parents, and she liked Dracula instead of Harry Potter. Yeah, and the Bela Lugosi instead. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the next song after that is called Tender Trap, and that's one of the. That's definitely the oldest song I had in the bunch. That was written during right after Silk Prison, and it was intended for the next Tight Phantoms thing. And when Tight Phantoms started being less and less of. Um, less and less my boutique project and more of a band again. Um, I uh, cherry picked that song to be on my Mike Lust solo record. Um, and the, the, the next solo rec- the, the next records I'm putting out under Mike Lust will feature songs I've written during, right after, so like during this time that just didn't work out as, uh, the songs that are near and dear to me that didn't work out as that aren't going to work out as tight fan songs are now going to start popping up on subsequent releases. So tender trap was written entirely with an Omni chord. Oh, I love those. Yeah. That's uh Jeff, and, my friend, Jeff Byron from the Meishi and uh, turbo lightning and uh, Wavebreaker. He has like a massive collection of those, like more than anyone I've ever seen, which is to say more than one or zero. And uh, yeah, there's such a weird, crazy ass, Tell tell him to sell one to Mike Lust because I fucking had to sell mine to. I I think I had to sell mine to get Christmas gifts one year or pay bills. Wow! And now, back that was back when like I was like, "Fuck, don't sell an instrument you wrote a song with." Yeah, let that be a lesson to everyone out there. Uh, especially a song that's going to come out 10 years later and you be like, fuck, I don't have the album. And now I can't afford a goddamn album Yeah, because people they're have like, discovered them now, yeah. They're like 500 bucks. Yeah, Sharon, yeah, but they're all over Sharon Van Etten records. They're like 500 bucks now. And um, good thing I'm a recording engineer and have the raw files to all my songs because I can just use those, I guess, if I have to play, play the song live. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, that was written with an Omnichord, and um, it's kind of like uh, uh, just about with, like falling in love with your sir, your bartender, or your uh, or the or just that fleeting moment where you fall in love with your server at a 
at a cafe or a restaurant. Right. <laughs> and you'll never see that person ever again. Yeah. But you'll. Uh, but during that time period. <laughs> but you'll keep in. going to you'll keep going to sit at that same bar. Yeah. And just get yourself annihilated and never really get up the nerve. <laughs> um, and the next song is uh, called Sunday Night Instrumental. And it's exactly what that is. Another song <laughs> that I tried to fit lyrics on. Right. And it's kind of like, uh, I've always been a huge fan of that baritone guitar, like Desert Highway, Calexico, mm. sort of, uh, yeah, that Desert Highway guitar sound. Fender Twin, baritone guitar. So I wanted to make a song like that. I, uh, the great, um, yeah, it's, uh, great thing about the drum, the drums in that one is I don't remember who played it. <laughs> so it's not credited to anyone. Right, right. And, uh, my friend who I thought maybe played drums on it, I sent the song to him. I'm like, is this you? Yeah. And, uh. He's like, no, that's not me. So I'm like, I don't know who to credit the drums to. That's great. I think I ended up crediting the drums to myself. But what I think I did is I think I stole the raw drum tracks from a band I was recording one week. The isolated drums and looped them. That's the only thing I could think of what happened. And I was under some sort of chemical duress <laughs> when... <laughs> When I did that, <laughs> that song came together at, during the pandemic when I had all my equipment at my house. Right. So I was just, uh, I fucked around with that song. Um, and you'll hear the, uh, there's, there's this, at the end of the song, there's this, this really high pitched squeal that carries out the song. And it's this train that for 19 years, I've just moved last week. For 19 years, I lived in this house where a block away, there was uh, a, a, a freight train track. Oh, wow. A slow-moving freight train. And sometimes the train would be stopped dead. And then when it would pick back up, the wheels would make this, this incredible, beautiful shriek. And um, – if I ask anyone in the neighborhood about that shriek, they're like, yeah, isn't that a great sound? You hear it in the middle of the night. It's yeah. like hearing the highway in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. Or, or hearing a, 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 a railroad horn in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those, so those sounds you love. And if you live in Logan Square, uh, Chicago, this squealing train wheel sound that's at the end of the song that goes into the last song on the album, you'll You'll be if you live in Chicago, you'll be like, I know that fucking sound. <laughs> right, right, right. Fuck you for putting it in a, it like literally fuck you for putting it in a song. <laughs> I, I remember when uh, I lived above a bar once and, you know, in the morning when they do the beer bottle dump. Yeah, yeah. The dumpster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'll lose, if you're the one dumping the bottles, you'll lose your hearing from that. Yeah, it's so loud. Yeah. But, but if you're sleeping in the bed three floors above it, yeah, you'll wake up. It's that jarring. But I remember Joan of Arc put that uh, – Tim Kinsella put that on 
a song or they put, he put that on a Joan of Arc record and I'm like, you fucker. Cause I was like, I, I wanted to be, he, it's like one of those things he like beat me to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have that in the back of your mind is a thing to do. And... Yeah. And bartenders in Chicago who are also musicians like Mike Less and Tim Kinsella will try to work those sounds. Always try to be working those sounds onto your records. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it makes it interesting. You know, why not? <laughs> yeah. So then, what, the last song. Last song. All we could do. All we could do, and that's. I think this. You know. You know when you put out a record, Conan. It's like, if someone were to ask you what your favorite song is, it changes. Yeah. All the time. You know. So, this currently is my favorite song on the record, just because. Um, I don't know. I just always liked it. It came together. The drum beat came together because uh, my bandmate in Tight Phantoms is also in a band called Pinebender. Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen Pinebender. Uh, and he yeah. he plays drums. Well, he's switched on and off, but when they go when they do the original lineup of Pinebender, he's the drummer. So, it's my musical partner, the kid, Stephen the Kid Howard. And uh, the kid came to to the studio to practice drums one night cuz they had a Pinebender show coming up and he just hadn't been playing drums. And I had an SM57 or some, I, or we had an SM58 hanging as a vocal mic in the room mm -hmm. for the PA. And I just patched it into the computer and, and recorded him practicing drums. Oh, nice. So that's why the drums are so fucking lo-fi and crappy on that. Yeah. It's because it's one SM58 in a room and he's not playing anything. He's just practicing. Yeah, and I recorded it, and wrote the song around that. Um, yeah, and wrote the song around it, and it came out really kind of lo-fi, kind of like, kind of like an Alien Lane song. I was really inspired. There's this artist right now called Elvis Depressedly. <laughs> I'm not familiar, and but that's fantastic. <laughs> it's uh, his. I was listening to his record every day. And a lot of his songs are kind of really melancholy, cure inspired, and they're all anchored by the bass line. So I wanted to make a song like I wanted to make like a melancholy cure song type of song that yeah, was anchored sure. by the bass line. So that's what I did. And um, another rare song on the album that has a lot of guitars on it. Um, because this record for me, I feel like people know me as a guitarist from, and from Luster King and from Tight Phantoms and like doing a, like someone who will occasionally like try to shred as, as, as bad as it uh, might fall on my face. But, um, but for someone that is, is kind of known for playing guitar, there's not a lot of guitar on this record. Yeah. It's pretty synthy. Yeah. It, it's there for the guitars are kind of there for texture textures and then like flourish but so there's not really maybe that chrome intention song but there's not a lot of songs anchored by guitar so this was one that i feel like had a um a lot i i feel like i'm pretty proud of the guitar stuff guitar harmony stuff i did because i don't know like how to do that thin lizzy stuff you know that Iron Maiden Thin Lizzy no, stuff? No, I, I know it well, and it's really, it's very difficult. 
like, it's difficult, and I stumbled upon the stuff that's in that song. Yeah, was a complete accident. That I'm glad you know the tape is always rolling here, right? Because <laughs> you can just go. Because I was like, oh fuck, I don't. It's one of those things where like I have to if we do this live, I have to go back and learn it all because yeah, it was yeah, yeah. all like I said, all the songs are one night. Yeah, that's crazy. And when we shot the Danceteria video. A couple weeks ago, I had to go learn the solo. And the, the director was like, you have to learn the solo. And I'm like, yeah, I played that a year ago. Yeah. One night when I was like probably half cocked on Cuervo. So, <laughs> so yeah, I have to go learn it. Right. And um, so, uh, though, yeah, when you stumble by the when, when I have... If just know if I you ever catch me doing a guitar a guitarmony, yeah, it's a complete accident. <laughs> it's like when you come up with a funny title with your friends and you have to like write it down right away, get it down right away. Yeah, write that down. No, I do that constantly. You're gonna because yeah. you're gonna lose it. And the end of that song just kind of ends with a. It just falls off a cliff. I remember the mastering engine, like it just ends abruptly. So if Anyone out there buys the record, there's nothing wrong with uh, the way that it ends is completely with, with the way that it ends. It ends. Kind it's of over. Like, yeah. It's like there's no resolve. It means there's there's more to come. Yeah. Um, it means the story is not over. And uh, even the mastering engineer was like, hey, I think you sent me the file wrong or the files kind of chopped. I'm yeah. Like, no, that's how the record ends. <laughs> so that's that's basically like you know a walk through the songs thank you for letting me do that no no that was thank awesome you, it's very uh, enjoyable well um done. yeah thank you for letting me rear uh rear my head that way so uh it's been great having you man and, and it's uh thank you thank you so much for uh, spending so much time with me the last the last thing i'm gonna ask you is the last questions the only can question i ever ask anyone on the show you can choose to interpret it however you like but why let, you... let me pour myself a shot of tequila before you get okay the last shot or the last question i'll, I'll, I'll keep it uh i'll draw the suspense out but it's the only it's the only can question again however you want to interpret it is fine why do you do what you do um That's a really good question. As I as I approach my uh, mid forties, um, I have to and I insist on sometimes saving my studio, saving my instruments um, before I lose anything. I like um, why I. I have to ask myself all not not like we've talked about tonight we talked about how like bands don't have budgets anymore and for records and like now when i engineer when i make records when i do this thing i love and i've done all my life i have to take a pay cut for it yeah. i'm i'm willing to do it because i can't wait to make a record you know meet you and make a record but uh you don't get paid like you used to get paid for it. And so I have to have a side hustle like uh, bartending and stuff like that. But um, so, like I said, when you're in a broom closet eating a piece of pie 
that the bridesmaids snuck you. And you're listening to Don't Stop Believing, and you're like, I'm in my 40s, man. And this mo- I'm eating a piece of pie in a broom closet, and this motherfucker is bugging me about what time the session is starting tomorrow. And I was like, what? And you're, I shouldn't say this motherfucker because I love everyone I get to work with, but it's just like, um, you just get pounded in the head with life and it's not always, it's not always fun. And then um, you, but you just, I'm like, why don't I just go off and get a corporate engineering job? Why don't I become a recording engineer for commercials? Or why don't I record books on tape? That seems to be a booming fucking industry. They need an engineer who can vocal coach people to, to record books on tape. Great. Done. Why do I insist on spending my Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays in, in and evenings in rooms with punk rock bands and then trying to make my own music that not a lot of people are going to hear. There's not enough interest to go tour it all the time. Um, why do I do what I do? I don't insanity. Like, cause I'm just wired to, I got a bug as a child, as a three-year-old, um, my mother would, t- if, if my mom were around, she'd tell you before you could speak, you were into kiss. And I was just so enamored with Kiss as a three-year-old. I saw them on the Paul Lynn show, um, the Paul, Paul Lynn Halloween special on October 26, 1976. We all know that because we can go back on YouTube and see. I could see when the Paul Lynn Halloween special. Right. <laughs> um, and my mom would recount how I would just stand, you know, like when you're blocking the TV, you're a kid. And you're blocking the TV and everyone's like, move, 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 move. And I saw Kiss come on and I just stood there. I probably had footy pajamas on. And I, from that moment, I just got the bug. I got enamored with Kiss. I, I, from Kiss, I, like, when I was 11 years old, I discovered Van Halen. And, and from Van Halen, I started getting into harder, heavier stuff. And... Once I discovered Metallica Conan, I didn't care about boys. I didn't care about girls. I didn't care about my parents. I didn't care about anything but Metallica for four years. I just, I would play Nintendo with the sound off and and listen to Injustice for All over and over and over and over. Like for two years, I played Nintendo with the sound off. I don't even play video games anymore, which is really funny. I would just play like Mario, like Mario one and two, and Paperboy, oh, yeah. and and just fucking listening to Justice for All and Master of Puppets, and um, then I would I didn't have a lot of friends in high school, so I would like just uh, fastidiously learn Injustice for All and Master of Puppets. I had the tab books, and I just like throughout every step of the way into like forming luster king and being like flamboyant and loud and like crazy on stage with that band and you know doing the fucking guitar throw around toss around and then watching the crowd just go like when you do that you're like fuck yeah i just did that 
you like I tried that the first I remember trying that the first time and executed it and caught the guitar and the crowd just went it's like you know like you're almost about to drop a baby and then you catch the baby everyone's like, <laughs> as long as the baby gets caught it's fine yeah yes. it was just like and um that that bug it just it never left me and um a couple uh a couple of years ago we didn't play a rock show for like a year type fems didn't play for a year it was just nice to have a breather yeah i was just like this is the first time in my life i've gone nine months or 12 months without playing a rock show with, without thinking what do we we got a show coming up in march you know like you yeah. you've always got one in the frontal lobe of your mind that you have to think about yeah there's always something and i took a break from that and I felt like a kind of a sigh of relief. And then one night we played a show, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm back!" And I was, I'm, I'm 45 years old, I'm back. And it's just like you're you're an idiot. Why do you do this? It's exactly why do I do this? Because I because I remember and I forget, and then I remember and then I forget, and then I get on stage, and it's just like, God damn it, that was so much fun. Did you have you turned to your best friend and you're like did you have fun and they're like yeah that was fucking fun and um you turn the other and they're like where are you going you're leaving now um but <laughs> it's just it's so much it's so much fun and there's just these last last thursday when i released the first single when i released danceteria the first single from this record when i put out the video and we were supposed to talk and my phone died. It died from like people all day just saying, dude, just saw the fucking video. Just nice. saw the video. Love the fucking video. Love the song. And I was just on my phone all day and I got stuck in a place where I just didn't, the phone was not going to work anymore. But it was like, God, that's what I do this for. I got to talk to people I love. Some people who reached out to me that, that day that I hadn't talked to for 15 years. Yesterday, I got an uh, Instagram message from a kid that I haven't seen since I, we were like 12. Wow. And it's just like, he's like, I love your song. I played it. My, me and my little girl are dancing to your song. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I don't, yeah, I don't even know this person name. I mean, we knew each other when we were 12, but it's just like, thank you. I was like, thank you for telling me that. And I've, you know, we've, we're, you and I are used to being in bands that really have nothing to do with the mainstream, have nothing to do with any accolades or any fucking uh, acknowledgement sometimes yeah. or, or, or anything like that. And, uh, but then, but then it comes, it comes in different forms. It's not like, you know, we're not getting played on the radio. It comes in the simplest of forms. And I love that, that we've toiled in obscurity because when something great does happen, it means the fucking world to you. When a breaking bad does happen, yeah. it makes you cry, you know? And like when a kid that you haven't talked to since you're 12 years old, reaches out to you and says, we just watched your video and we love it. If he's sitting with his daughter and like, it makes you fucking cry. And it's just like, 
I think those little endorphin blasts, you know, those little shots in the arm are like long answer, but why I do it. Beautiful, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's great to talk to you, man. Yeah. Thank you really, so much, Mike. This is really this fantastic great. to meet you. Yeah. yeah likewise. I, um, I might, uh, I might be in Milwaukee in a week to do a photo session. Hit a brother so, up. <laughs> I, uh, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not just rolling through for an afternoon, I'll hit you up. Sounds great. Yeah. Great to meet you, dude. You too. Uh, Take let's care, talk brother. Soon. Sounds good. If I, uh, if I have a podcast, will you be on mine? I guaranteed. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. Take care, brother. Take care. Bye. Bye. There he goes. Mr. Mike Lust. What a cool guy. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Let's hear uh, the single off of the, off the new record. <laughs>
That's right. Tight phantoms. Tight phantoms. Mr. Mike Lust. So uh, that was some stuff off of Silk Prison, which is a great record. Um, that was the, the song that was in Breaking Bad, uh, Black Seas of the Crib, before that was Waiting For, which is probably one of my favorites on that record. And then we have the uh, the radio edit because of uh, Dance Tyria, which is off the brand new record, Demented Wings. Get that wherever you get your records or uh, forgeagainrecords.bandcamp.com directly. Going fast. 10 songs, 25 minutes. Gets in, gets out. I'd like to thank Mr. Mike Lust for being on the show. It's a constant pleasure having him on. Excellent gentleman. <coughs> Name of the show is Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. The show airs on Radio Note. Usually Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. RadioNote.com. Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. ProtonicReversal.com for the archives. Anyone within the sound of my voice. If you like the show and want to get episodes sooner, $1 a month at Patreon. Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal. That'll get you there. 50,000 watts of power. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. Thanks, everyone, for liking, subscribing, and the various mediums, writing reviews, all that. It helps people find the show. That's, uh, that's always helpful. It's appreciated. Thank you. This microphone and thanks for listening, also. sound into electricity. Can Stay safe out there. Now? Out on Route 128. And take it easy. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10.
I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. broadcasting if there's no one there to receive it's the end of radio as we come to the close of our broadcast day
They're all concept records to me in that respect. Yeah, yeah, and, and it is an art. I'm not sure if I ever would have had the aptitude or gumption to do that, you know, 15 years before, right? Because I would have been like, oh, no, I can't can't do that. We can't lose the listener for a second. Whereas, like, no, actually, hey, dumbass, that actually makes for a cooler record. <laughs> it makes it an easier thing to listen to. Well, when do, you, when do you think you acquired that gumption? I mean, basically, all the secrets. Great word, by the way. I love Thank you. gumption. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching lots of everyone, Westerns. And no offense, it just makes everyone kind of sound like a dope. 